Hello everyone, I'm Ismail Pai Civico and welcome to the Civic Podcast. Now, uh, I really want to start saying that I really am quite, kind of upset now starting again this episode because I've already recorded it twice or once, well once and some parts and second time but then I get I kept getting interrupted by different things. First of all, uh, my storage was full on my computer so it stopped recording and then when I went to check it out, I said, oh, f- awesome, I managed to articulate my thoughts really well. I think I gave some pretty relevant content and interesting content. And then when I went to look at it, it was not there because my storage was full. Then I had to delete all sorts of files. And then the second time my dog started barking because one of my housemates uh, entered the house. Um, and then my, well, anyway, uh, and now I think he's, he's calm. He's eating uh, his bone. So I hope he won't cause too much of an inconvenience. Uh, but I really want to get this over with. Um, so then, yes, and then get this as soon as possible. And then I will see a bit how many episodes I do per week. But on this episode specifically, I wanted to speak about oppression, inequality, critical race theory, um, and and privilege, of course. Uh, what, why that mainly? First of all, because it's one of the things we see the most now in society, specifically moved by the Black Lives Matter movement and organization. Uh, and and of course oppression and equality and privilege are pretty much you can find them everywhere right it's it's, it's not just based on race on, on race it's also based on gender it's also based on sexuality on um, socioeconomic background wealth and all that um, everything that's intermingled in, in between but why this because this basically these these factors, these topics are basically what constitutes the whole collectivist ideology, right? Uh, basically started with Marx. Uh, and then now we see it, 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 it took rise now, now again. And I really want to uh, dismantle more or less or, or explain why the collectivist ideology is not the best way forward when you want to bring uh, serious conversations onto the table. And what's the best way forward? What's the best way that we can get into a conversation and speak about difficult topics like racism, uh, xenophobia, sexism, Islamophobia, all of this, right? So oppression, inequality, and privilege is pretty much um, englobes all of these issues. And I wanted to speak specifically about critical race theory because there's a very interesting video that, well, what happened in the, in the House of Commons in the United Kingdom uh, quite recently, um, that a conservative uh, member of parliament, so Kemi Badenoch, um so she's a black woman if it needs to be said she's a black woman uh that basically spoke against critical race theory and said that that's a political standing point and that is not objective right because then she she spoke about the black lives matter movement and i want to think and i want to make one thing clear now before we get into the whole conversation is that the Black Lives Matter movement is a political organization. It's a political organization. Just go and look on the webpage. They have, the, they're not just revendicating civil rights. They're not just revendicating rights for black people. They also have an economical agenda. Sorry, uh, an economic agenda uh, for the economy. They have a, an environmental agenda and and, and everything that, uh, I think also they, um, a, a gender agenda for, for, for gender rights and all of that. Um, and the thing is that I support the cause, I do not support the movement, right? 
And I think that everyone actually does support the cause and the claim that Black Lives Matter, regardless of where they stand on the political spectrum, unless they are Nazis uh, or fascists uh, that, that that really do believe that black people are inferior uh, or that coloured people are, are, are inferior. Uh, but putting that very small minority aside of, of nut jobs in our society, I really do think generally that everyone to, does think that black lives people matter, uh, black lives matter. So, uh, and this comes back to the to one of the issues I brought up in the first episode is that I generally do think that everyone we all want to get to the same place, we all want to abolish racism, we all want everyone to have the same rights and the same equality opportunity in society. Um, the problem is that there are two different narratives going around. You have one side saying that Black Lives Matter. Um, and then the other side saying all lives matter. But then they say in a way, so yes, we know that black lives matter, but black lives matter as much as white lives matter, as much as Asian lives matter, as much as Arab lives matter, right? And then the black lives matter side of things says, you're a bigot, you're a racist because you say, because we know that all lives matter, we're just laying out a specific problem that the black community is facing. And fair enough, fair enough. Um, you can defend it that way, but I really want to bring up uh, that what the black community is facing, mainly some through some facts and information, mostly that you can find in the United States, right? Because I don't really think you can compare what's happening in the United States with, with what was happening in the UK and what's happening in Spain or in Belgium, France, Portugal. I mean, well, we can speak about well, we can lay out the whole list of Western countries, right? But in any case. Uh, you can't compare two things, and that's the whole issue with the collectivist idea, which I was just uh, give some few examples now in a second. Um, the main problem with the collectivist idea is that it's predicated upon that every single person sharing a common trait is 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 in the same bag, right? So you all share this common trait, so you're all the same. You all need to think the same way. Right, we, we we don't take the freedom of choice of the individual as a factor in that. You say, okay, so you're black, so you're part of the black community in the, let's say, political vindications that black community must make or is facing. Or you're gay, so you must comply with the um, with the gay way of seeing things, right? Or you're a woman, you must comply with the woman way of seeing things, and then. I think specifically for LGBT and, uh, and and LGBT rights and feminism is a lot more complicated than that because within those groups there are so many subgroups um, that even between them they don't really agree on what they're actually revendicating. I'll give an example in feminism. You have uh, abolitionists and non-abolitionists, right? Uh, abolitionists basically uh, want to abolish uh, pornography and, uh, and prostitution and non-abolitionists say, no, that's our right, uh, that's our freedom, uh, we can... Uh, we can create pornographic content if we want to. We can prostitute ourselves if we want to. So that basically looking more onto the liberal side, say we want to be free to do whatever the hell we want, right? Uh, and then the abolitionists say uh, no, because prostitution is uh, a heteropatriarchal uh, market, right? And you are basically an object to the man that consumes that that product, right? which is prostitution and uh, pornography, the same thing, uh, saying that pornographic content is, again, a heteropatriarchal um, 
construct and not not construct, but it's content for the the patriarchy, right? It it it's content for heterosexual men, uh, and that way it can lead on to um, a misconception of what sexual relations are, because then it will make men a lot more violent towards women. And then there are all sorts of arguments and factors that come into play when it comes into pornography. Uh, and that can be also very, very interesting topic when we speak about feminism and women's rights and how that gets translated into maybe pornography, prostitution, um, and what each group is revendicating on each side. That aside. So basically, what I was saying that collectivist ideas come to that because you two share a common characteristic that you two are the same, right? Mm, basically what, what Marx was saying also with the uh, with the economic class that we're all the same you're all working class people there's one enemy there's one oppressor and that's the bourgeoisie and that's the high the people that are oppressing you why you live in such a bad way or why you don't have all the rights that you should have is because of the of, 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 of that group of people which is your oppressor and this comes again to the oppressor oppressed idea which is again intermingled with inequality and is again intermingled with privilege and what constitutes privilege in itself and these are very very difficult things to discuss because uh, i mean everything is connected uh and to really articulate your thoughts in a way that that makes it understandable for the general public it's not an easy task a lot of people have tried and that's why literally if you want to speak about one specific topic you should stick to one specific topic for a whole video and try to dig into it as much as you can so you can explain it the best way possible which i'm not going to try and do that just now i'm going to try a bit and lay out the collectivist idea a bit and compare it to the to the why we should take individuals more um as a as a starting point right we should start from the individual and not start from the collective and then later on maybe in further episodes i could discuss things a bit more in depth uh with people relevant to the field but I don't, they don't necessarily need to be relevant to the field either. And that's why, because basically, me speaking about oppression, inequality, and privilege, I'm basically like the antichrist of all of this, right? Specifically because I am white, I'm a man, I'm, and I'm heterosexual. And uh, I am the person that the social justice warriors most hate uh, because I do possess all these privileges or... Um, yeah, or so-called privileges or inert privileges that I've received through my heritage, through my genetic heritage, through my social cultural heritage, uh, and all of that. And uh, yes, I am privileged in in a lot of ways, not not in the ways maybe you might think. And I will get in into that a, a bit later on. But yeah, so I'm not the best person to speak about these things. If you do think that to speak about something, you need to be without question about that group that we're discussing, which I do not personally believe that. I think the person or the group of people that is being discussed should take part in the conversation, should be part of that conversation. But that does not mean that other people cannot speak about that also. That does not mean that we not that we don't all have that freedom of speaking about things that we deem relevant to speak about or to give our, our point of views. And that's why I'm allowing myself to speak about these very sensitive topics even though i'm not the best person to speak about them so that i'm aware and i might not have everything right i'm probably going to see a lot i'm probably going to say a lot of stupid things along the way uh i hope not too stupid i hope that in a sense there is you, you will at least acknowledge that there's some sort of that i'm going somewhere right there there's something there 
if I'm wrong about stuff, fair enough. I mean, I'm actually not afraid of, of making mistakes and uh, of of correcting myself and a whole process of brainstorming and evolving as a person uh, so I can really get this uh, really well uh, articulated set of thoughts that I want to include inside inside my uh, psychological web, let's say, in my in, in my mind, because we all have our thoughts, we all have our, our opinions about things, and I think it's just a constant journey of learning and of discussing and of testing out, right, and of making mistakes, and that's how really we we can evolve as, as humans, as human beings. So, yes, coming back to this... Um, to, to the critical uh, race theory uh, and, and and collectivism. The problem with collectivism, uh, first of all, and then we can get into critical race theory uh, a bit later on. So the problem with uh, with collectivism is that you have so many collectives that in the end, what you're going to find if, if you keep subdividing them and creating subgroups within those collectives, that in the end, it's just going to go down to the individual. Because let's say, okay, you have men and women, right? have black men black women right asian men asian women arab men arab women right so this is all based on ethnicity and gender and then from there you go into more like sexual orientation so you can have white gay man white bisexual woman black trans man black pansexual woman uh, and then you can go into socioeconomic uh, uh, characteristics so White, gay man, poor. White, did I say, bisexual woman, rich. Um, and they can go into things like uh, intelligence or let's say some sorts of privileges that we are born with that we gain or not, right? Or it can take, for example, excuse me, physical prowess, right? Um, some people even though most of it, but you need to exploit that, that potential in, in, for, for sports, for example. Um, it's gonna take, if, if you're tall and have a, a, a strong bone structure and you have um, a good muscular structure, you need to exploit that to, of course, define it, right? And, uh, and be even stronger so you can get into really professional sports, but that, most of the things I just think that you gain genetically, right? Especially, okay, best example is height. Um, if you're not minimum, I think in professional basketball is probably, well, well, depends on which countries, but let's take the NBA, for example, you need to be minimum two meters tall, minimum. I don't think there are many players that that are around 195, two meters. I think two meters is probably much the minimum and you need to be really strong. You need to have a really strong body to be able to get into the NBA. And height it's not really something that you can gain through eating, right? It's, it's not something that, that, that you can gain throughout your life. Either you have it or you don't. And if you don't have it, you can't become a professional basketball player. That's just a thing because there's no way you can beat uh, the big, the high competition that there is in, in that sport. And that's something that you're born with. Same thing as IQ, right? Then, of course, you can get into the IQ because IQ is not really... Uh, no one has really actually understood all the understood all the factors that can go into IQ. There can be um, socioeconomic factors, cultural factors, um, based on nutrition also, uh, depending how how that person has uh, what what they've eaten, how they've evolved. So a, 
a lot of biological issues, also social cultural things that come into play when when you come to determine a person's IQ and, and where they get it from. But generally, people from birth are either more intelligent or less. I saw a this news the other day of of a twelve year old kid. He's already in, in second year of university, doing a. What was he doing? Something to do with uh, with space, right? Because because uh, he said he he wanted to work later on with, with Elon Musk, and I thought it was it was really awesome. Uh, this this twelve year old kid. Oh, for example, he was black, right? If it's even important to say, but yeah. So so this kid was is really is really really bright. He was born at by the age of one, he could uh, speak, right? Something like that. For the age of three, he could read, and he and then he said, no, I'm not into, I'm, and 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 he really showed a. A big sense of humility, right? Um, and he said, "No, I'm not intelligent. I just uh, understand things, or I memorize things a lot easier than the general public." And that's basically something that he was born with, right? He, when when you're one, you don't really decide. I want to study aerospace, right? No, not really, or or quantum physics. You you, you don't really say that when you're one. It's just like. He was born in a way, he was gifted, and now when he's 12, he's 12, and he's in the second year of university, um, studying one to be, uh, well, far from being one of the easiest uh, uh, study paths that you can take, right? In any case. So this is an example of how someone can be just privileged in, in a very random way we don't really understand what constitutes all of this uh, it can be genetics it can be uh well yeah maybe genetics biology all of that me for example and this also something about privilege i was really privileged when i was born but i wasn't necessarily privileged compare because then you always when you speak about privilege you need to compare yourself to someone right generally when you speak about white privilege we compare we can it, it's compared to the people of color but then there's all sorts of privilege that needs to be compared in uh in all sorts of different contexts. Uh, so I was born in a small town in Spain. Well, I actually wasn't born there. I was born in Ronda, which is the Malaga province, but I grew up in a small town in Spain, in southern Spain, in Malaga, uh, four or 5,000 uh, people there. So fairly uh, calm town. I had a really nice childhood there. Um, so I, I grew up there and then all my friends, uh, whether they were male or female or we all pretty much did the same things, right? We all went to the same school, we read the same stuff, we played the same game, we did the same sports, we ate the same stuff, generally. Uh, we had the same social connections, uh, our families all knew each other, so we it's a pretty small community, right? So we could say that, but I, even though we were, most of us were all white, right? Because it's, it's in Spain, small town, the, not a lot of ethnic minorities were there at that time. Um, and I was still a lot more privileged than them. Why? Because I was born bilingual, basically. My mom was in, it, it's English, and my dad is Spanish, so I grew up speaking English with her, and I grew up with my dad speaking in Spanish. And just by the mere fact of me being able to speak two languages since I was born, that already made me extremely privileged. And it was not merely based on my skin color, right? Uh, it would have been the same thing if I were black and if I were, if I was born in that same small town, 
uh, I would have been more privileged than them in that regard because I was bilingual. And generally, a lot of studies have shown that people that are born bilingual or speak two languages uh, from birth or that grow up speaking two languages, generally later on, it's a lot easier for them to learn other languages. Um, a lot of families uh, from migrant background, let's say, have do have this... Um, disadvantage let's say because they, they they do have the chance to speak i, I actually get really pissed with a friend of mine because uh, his um well his parents are spanish but he, he grew up in belgium and he never actually spoke spanish with them he always spoke french and oh it's actually his, his parents fault I always, I always tell them that they should have spoken to him in spanish the whole time but he didn't really learn spanish in the way i learned spanish uh, so he speaks it but not as well as he could and he doesn't have this this capacity of learning other languages as easily as I could have, even though they are really tough to learn now. But I did have that advantage when I was growing up. I managed to learn Portuguese. I'm uh, not, now I pretty much forgot it, but at the time I used to speak it very well because I lived in Portugal. And then I managed to learn French very easily in, in just a month, in a, in a month or two when I arrived uh, in in Belgium. So, so that's really some an, an example of how privilege can really be completely random right i didn't choose to be born in that family I, I didn't choose to be born bilingual that's one sort of privilege um and then the argument comes into privilege uh so that's one example i wanted to give on how privilege can be completely random and you can just be born with different um well physical intellectual prowess if you will or capacities uh, that really differ from one person to another um and everyone's individual in, in 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 their regard. One person might not have as high of an IQ as another one, but the person that has the lower IQ is is really good at sports. For example, I mean, okay, that's that's very that's really stereotyping the 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 kind of stupid uh, or or not so bright uh, sportsman, right? But it's not. I mean, just so you can visualize it in a sense. Uh, in that in 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 that way, right? So the person that's not as good in sports. Uh, well, might be able to uh, have a really, really fruitful um, ac academic career, right? He, in the academia, he can have a really big future in there. And the person that's really good at sports, he can maybe, he had this path, he has, he had that gift to come and become a really good sportsman uh, in sports, whether it's football, basketball, tennis, anything, you name it right so that's some sort of privilege um and then what is said basically that we need to acknowledge because of imperialism and colonialism and everything that our forefathers did before us uh specifically with the african continent and then when it basically emerged the the, the critical race theory emerged in the, in the united states right mainly through black lives matter and then through previous studies that showed or so-called previous studies that that showed and, and then they made this a universal truth that just by the mere fact of you being white that you are you need to acknowledge that you're privileged over black people even though that we're no longer living in the uh, imperialistic times or in or in colonial times and it's very interesting because then there's this guy uh well not this guy this gentleman uh i don't really like speaking about people who i, I respect quite a bit uh in, in in that manner but okay so a few people in, in the united states a lot of black people if 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 it's if it needs to be said uh, have tried to debunk, or not tried, they have debunked the uh, the systemic racism and the critical race theory quite a bit. 
Uh, I'm going to give a few names and then I can go into a bit what each of them says and see a bit uh, how can this be translated in Europe or is it even relevant in Europe at, at, to some extent. So you have Coleman Hughes and he explained, I saw at one point he explained uh, critical race theory in a way. So that will mean basically that all of the black community, so, so, so black people in the United States specifically, will be a would be affected in the same way, right? Because they are black and uh, because of systemic racism, um, the general statistics should be the same within black communities themselves because black people don't all come from one same place. They can change from city, from state. They can change from cultural background or religious background or socioeconomic background, right? So, but generally you have, okay, uh, let's take the, the prison statistic, for example, and then we can take some factors uh, to discuss about that because the prison statistic is something that that the BLM movement likes to to speak about a lot. Um, so in the United States, it's around thirteen. I think, I think I'm, I'm not entirely sure about the numbers, but but they are pretty close. Around thirteen to sixteen percent of the of, of of the population in the United States is African American, right? So black. I don't really like saying African American, and most of the black people don't like being called African American. Oh. Most of the black people that are against BLM, right, um, don't like being African-American because they say they say, always say I'm American. Don't say that I'm African because I've never been to Africa and don't have family in Africa. I'm American. I grew up in America. I I subscribe to the American culture. I, I'm living the American dream, if you... I mean, all of that, right? So African-American is a term that even now is still being uh, discussed if it's right to call someone African-American. But anyway, and then, of course, black can be seen bad especially if i say the word black because i'm white so i may not be able to see it but i think it's fine if i say black so because i'm not saying in any pejorative manner of course so i don't really don't know why that should be an issue but it, hey uh, you have people for everything right you have people that can call you every single every single name in the book um just by one word taken out of context in any case so he he, he started doing this research and say okay if if this critical race theory is true, that would mean that basically all of the black community or different black communities in the United States would be affected in the same way, right? And then he did a comparison between the the, the black Americans, so the, so that are genetically, or, to, or the African-American Americans that are genetically from African descendants, so from that community, so basically the African-American community, and then the West Indian communities that are providing from the West Indies. And he did that comparison and said, okay, if this is what's happening, then I guess that the same racial oppression that the African-American community is facing, my community, which is the West Indian, because he, he comes from the West Indies, should face the same kind of oppression. And that's a completely legitimate claim to make if if the racial theory or, or the critical race theory is actually true, or if it has some scientific background, let's say, um, so when it comes to science, if you have one general rule, that rule can be applied for that, generally. Uh, in physics, you have rules, and then you apply them, and then you see, generally, should always come up to the same answer. That's what generally science is there for. So that's what that's what he tried to do. And not generally that. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a scientist, but you can get the idea, right? So, so, so he tested out this rule, this critical race theory rule. He tested it out, and he tested it out with the West Indian community. What did he see? That the oppression... Or the so-called oppression that the African-American community in the United States was facing was not the same as the one the West Indian community was facing. Actually, the numbers in the West Indian community uh, resembled a lot, or if not the same, to the 
to the white community in the United States. Um, that there wasn't really much difference there, right? Uh, and then coming back to the prison numbers. For example, oh, uh, he also gave some numbers about uh, uh, the average, uh, well, in terms of spending and the money and the careers, etc. But I'm I'm going to take one of which I've I've done my my fair amount of research about. Uh, so let's take in prisons, right? Uh, when I was saying before about 16, 13 to sixteen percent of the American population is black, and then around seventy percent, sixty-five, seventy percent of the American population is white, and then the rest is Asian, um, mixed. So maybe um, Irish, Italian, uh, a bit of everything in the United States right now, actually, and every single other uh, country uh, of origin that you can think about. So, and then in prison. So that's like yes, thirteen, sixteen percent to seventy percent, and then in prison it's it's hot, it's, it's a lot higher, right? There's in prison there's a lot more black people uh, in comparison to the representation in society. I think maybe it's around forty percent, uh, fifty, sixty. I'm not entirely sure, but a, a lot higher than that, thirteen, sixteen percent. And then you need to check, and then you can ask yourself a question: Okay, can this be a manifestation of that critical race theory, of that white privilege, of that? white supremacy, that systemic racism, I think systemic racism is, uh, is the best way to define that, um, that that African-American community is mostly affected and that is why there are most African-Americans in prisons right nowadays. Uh, and then we need to look of what factors can constitute criminality or what factors can come into play when people decide to commit criminal acts. Um, and this is why I want to bring another factor. So that's something, okay, That that's a fact. There are more proportionally there are more African Americans in American prisons than white Americans, right? Okay, that's fine. And what we like to do usually when we when we hear that fact is say systemic racism. Systemic racism. I'm gonna try and bring a little bit more uh, developed kind of argument for that and try and see what could be the causes of why African Americans are more Well, there are more African Americans in prisons. I I I don't want to wrongly articulate my words because they can be really be misinterpreted in, in in a completely different way. So I'm 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 being very careful with the words I'm using right now, um, so you can really understand what I'm getting at. So what happened is, and this is throughout the 30s more or less, and then I'm I'm, I'm going to speak about a factor that that, that could play. In, in why African-Americans are more incarcerated. Of course, there can be the factor of, I'm gonna say this before I even start, there can be the factor of maybe a policeman, if if coincidentally every single black American that has been incarcerated has had the misfortune of encountering a an actual racist policeman that just by an arbitrary racial profiling, he caught you and he searched you and he found two grams of coke on you and then you ate and then you took around five to 10 years of prison, then that's fine. If by some coincidental manner, that can be a factor, let's do our research onto that and let's look at what kind of racism can be found within the uh, within the, the American police forces, which I don't think the American police force is racist. I think there are racist people in the American police force. Of course there are. I think there are racist people absolutely everywhere. Uh, that does not mean that the whole police force is racist and that can be pretty much translated to any, any other single Western country. I really do not think that police forces are racist. Um, in any case, so that can be a factor maybe. There can be a factor, an, an arbitrary factor that racist policemen have in an arbitrary manner or racist judge, judges in an arbitrary manner have incarcerated more black people than white people, right? That can be a factor. Um, yes, we can put that over the table. That can be something really, really 
and, and, and if that actually does happen, we should tackle that as much as we can so no black person is arbitrarily incarcerated unjustly, same as for Asian minorities or Latino minorities in the, in the United States. So what, one thing that inclines young people or specifically men, because also there's a big disparity between men and women incarceration, uh, that's 10 to 1 more or less in the United States. Um, so 10 men for one woman, uh, I think that's pretty much the same numbers in every single Western country. Mm. So we need to look at what can be the factors that that will incline, let's say, people or young people more specifically uh, into criminal acts or into criminality. And one of the big factors that have really been shown through serious amounts of studies and, and cases uh, that is growing up in monoparental households. So growing up with one single parent figure, whether it's your mother or your father or or any, right, or a tutor. Uh, so that's a cause. So if people grow up in monoparental households, they are more inclined or show a stronger proclivity towards criminal acts or, or criminality in a broader sense. And that's uh, okay, right. So, so that's over the table. You, you, you can do and do your research, and that's that's pretty much been documented quite a bit. So, people that grow up again, I'm going to repeat: people that grow up in monoparental households, so with one parent, statistically are more inclined towards criminality, right? And then I'm going to link this to why that could be one of the factors. Although that one, that could be one of the factors repeating one of the factors, that more black people are incarcerated in the United States. So in the 30s, the amount of black people that were born outside wedlock, so outside two-parent households, let's say, or, or, or stable households, was only about 15%, give or take. I think very low numbers, 10 to 20%. Whereas for white people, it was around 35%, 30-35% of young people that grew up uh, outside of wedlock or that were born outside of wedlock. Um, if you compare those numbers to the 70s and 80s, so after Jim Crow, uh, after the civil rights movement, um, that exponentially increased specifically for the black community. The white community stayed stable. And and then, of course, there's, there's something to take into account that, of course, during the 30s, white people did have all the rights that they could have, Right. Uh, so, 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 so that could be a reason why their numbers stayed, stayed fairly stable and the black, the black community was highly oppressed before the 70s uh, in the United States, in, 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 in most of the states. Um, or in all the states. I mean, I, I don't know American history that well, but this is something, please, don't go and watch a bit Coleman Hughes, what he speaks about all of this, and, uh, and Thomas Sowell also. Uh, so a, a really, really bright author and economist and university teacher in the United States um, that speak about this really well and there are a lot more, let's say, well, there are better places to speak about these matters than I am. But why I'm bringing these topics up and saying basically what they've been saying for quite some time is because I want to debunk first the the systemic racism idea and I want to make a comparison also to what's happening in Europe and to say that countries that issues that countries are facing can't really be compared in the same manner or in the same way so what happened is that for the Amer for the African American community it exponentially increased uh, in the 70s and that went up to I think maybe 60% I think I mean some 
some well a, a, a very high number and that basically meant also that black women and black people did have the rights w were able to emancipate themselves in a way that gave them access to the welfare state and in that manner they didn't really need to have uh, another parent in the household to able to maintain that family and that there are all sorts of reasons why uh, that that number increased and, 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 and we can look into those sub factors that create the factor of that since then young black men men specifically because men are more incarcerated than women and are more inclined to criminal activities than women um, biological women and biological men if you will cisgendered men cisgendered women I mean, all of this, all of these topics, I mean, they are so, they are so connected and so, everything is all made into a big stew. And that big stew is basically what the social justice movement uh, consumes on a daily basis. Uh, and, and I think you need to take out piece of carrot, piece of potato and piece of meat one by one and try to explain, oops, apologize for that, and try to explain each thing in a very precise and concise manner which is very difficult to do, but I'm, I'm trying my best to actually try and uh, get these conversations onto the table. So um, so, that, so that's what happened that since the 70s, when the, when the welfare day and when a bit the black community was able to emancipate themselves, um, a, lot of, a, a lot more of young black men were starting to, were starting to grow up outside of wedlock, uh, not even outside of wedlock, but with monoparental households. So that could be one of the factors of why, specifically, more black men are incarcerated, right? And then we can look into the fact if there hasn't been any arbitrary um, misjudgments from, from well, f on behalf of the state or of the law or of the judges that have been taking on these cases, and if they haven't been judged in an ethical manner right that that we can look into but it just it seems like when when this conversation comes onto the table that we always jump to the fact that you're racist or when a black person is killed uh, tragically by the police in the united states we jump that your that person was racist and, and, and we don't look at the different factors or context in uh, upon which it it, it it can be taken and look at every single thing uh, in the overall picture um, so, okay, so that's something to speak about, black men incarceration in the United States. One thing I would like to add also is that, that the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, we shouldn't, it shouldn't, it, it's being translated, the, the idea of the United States or the problems that the United States are facing regarding race. I, I, I don't really like the word race, but well, for the sake of the conversation, let's use the word race. Um, re regarding race, it's being directly translated and not adapted to the reality in Europe or specifically in the United Kingdom. I can give an example uh, right now. Uh, when the Black Lives Matter movement emerged, I think it was 2014, 2015, after the killing of Eric Garner, more or less, um, they started revendicating black lives rights or black rights uh, in a way. So, so one of them, I call it a motto, but anyway, uh, they were walking in the street, uh, lifting up their hands and saying, please don't shoot, right? Which the United States police force is one of the best armed police forces in the world because they deal with the best armed civilians in the world. I mean, there are more guns per 
per citizen in the United States. The, the, the government does not even keep track of how many guns there are out there uh, that are accessible for the public because based on the on the Second Amendment, basically, and completely and unequivocally against guns. Um, so maybe that, that can be an interesting conversation and speak a bit about the Second Amendment in the United States. But anyway, uh, so, that, so that's basically something to consider, that the United States population is extremely well-armed, so policemen need to be extremely well-armed in the United States. I mean, you're not going to go against... If you're trying to stop a criminal and a criminal has an M four A one, so an assault rifle, you, you're not really going to do much with a stick, are you? Uh, so anyway, and that's basically a really legitimate claim. Say, please don't shoot. Please do not shoot me in an in an arbitrary manner just because I am black. Legitimate claim. Leave that there. Now, uh, they took that same way of revindicating black lives. Or black rights in 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 the United Kingdom in 2016 2017. So they were walking in London with the with their arms up in the air and saying, "Please don't shoot," uh, which it's kind of interesting because policemen in the UK do not carry guns since 1936, I believe, or at least one out of 20 policemen in the UK carry guns. It's not in the norm anymore. Policemen in the UK do not carry guns because of some tragic events that happened through in, throughout those years and at the end of the 19th century and beginning of the 20th century. So for a long time, policemen in the UK have not really carried guns. In any case, in England and Wales. I think maybe for Scotland is a bit different and Northern Ireland, they are armed in Northern Ireland. Uh, you can imagine why. Uh, and all the issues that have happened uh, with those conflicts. But in any case, so you... You tell me what, why is it relevant in the UK, if we're speaking about race issues in the UK, to say in the UK, please don't shoot when the police force in the UK is not armed. And that's an issue there of, let's just say, um, unprecision, right? Oh, no, not unprecision, sorry, but not, not being precise enough of what your question actually is, or what solution... To, to what question you're trying to bring onto the table. Because gun issues is not a problem in the UK. Knife crime is a problem in the UK. And that's also something that the that the pro-gun movement, when when an, when someone that's against guns, uh, a, 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 a person from the UK that's against guns says, uh, I don't really understand why you Americans use guns. And then a, a pro-gun guy from the US will say, well, you have a big issue with crime knife. Right, me personally, if I were, if I were to be attacked, I prefer that the guy had a knife than a gun. You can run from a knife, you can't really run from a gun unless the person has a really bad aim. Right, so that's something to take into take into account. And then, what's worse, a knife or a gun? And then you can have that conversation. And then, what, how much criminality does a gun cause, and how much criminality does a, does a knife uh, cause? Um, knife attacks have exponentially increased also in the UK and we should look at the issues there, right? But it's not the same thing as saying, okay, gun issues and black issues in the UK or racial issues, sorry, in, in the United States are the same in the UK. And that's something that the collectivist idea has been bringing onto the table. They've been saying, we have this issue worldwide in Western society that Western society is systemically racist and it's all dominated by white privilege and male dominance, uh, sorry, cisgendered male dominance, uh, heterosexual dominance, 
and all of this, right? And there are lots of ways to debunk and we need to be a little bit more concise with what kind of questions we're trying to answer. Because the problem with all of these things is that we're trying, we are globalizing a bit too much, we are generalizing a bit too much with these kind of matters and topics and problems. Well, sorry. So the problem with generalizing all of this, that you do not have a clear question that you, that, that you want to answer. Um, if you don't have a clear question, you can't really find a clear answer or, or you can't really find a clear solution to your answer. Um, I'm going to take it, for example, a, a math question, right? A, um, a math equation, a, a mathematical equation and a philosophical question that, that you can have in an exam uh, for all those young people that are still in, a, uh, in education or the people that have finished education and you remember a bit how exams go. So take, for example, a mathematical question that could be two plus two, as uh, simple as that. So you have two plus two on one side as one question and then you have on a philosophical, in your philosophical exam, you have what is the meaning of life? Wow, okay, so that's that's a tough question. What's the meaning of life? I mean, that would take you hours to answer that question in an exam. And if you really want to take it up a notch, that will take you years, months, decades to to decipher that question. I mean, people have been working on what is the meaning of life on that very specific question for centuries, for a millennia. I mean, for so long, people have been working on that idea. Religion has tried to bring their idea of the meaning of life and some things do need to be looked and that that's a very i mean there are lots of factors a lot of things that come into the answer of what is the meaning of life right it's not a straightforward answer it's not an easy answer but then for a two plus two is an easy answer and so you have two plus two that's four okay that's true right that is generally true i think maybe if if, if, if you ask a a, uh, a mathematician, he can come up with a very, very difficult way of explaining two plus two and then why it's four. But for me, it's easy as saying two plus two is four. Uh, and that's easy to translate into policy later on because it's a fairly easy thing to understand uh, through a minimum of mathematical knowledge. It is not the same if your question is not really clearly outlined. If you don't have a clear question to your problem, you won't be able to find a clear answer to that problem and therefore a clear solution that is translated from that answer that you found from that original problem. And that's an issue nowadays. Uh, would we really need to be really concise and precise about the answers that we're asking ourselves? Uh, sorry, the, the questions that we're asking ourselves in our society. Um, and those questions need to be very, very carefully assessed and checked and then cross-check different factors, cross-check different facts, cross-check different realities, different narrative, different spaces, different communities, different people. And then from there, try to find a close enough solution or answer to that solution. But I'm, I'm, I'm under the impression now that the whole answer for, for systemic racism is, well, we know what constitutes systemic racism. We know what, why most black people are incarcerated in the United States. And that's because the police were systemically racist or the state is systemically racist. And that's exactly the same thing that's happening in Europe, in the UK, in, well, not European Union anymore, unfortunately, but well, in, in that same thing that's happening in the UK, it's happening in Spain, happening everywhere. In Belgium specifically, it's not as much for black people, it's more for the Arab community. Right, and that also the systemic racism um, narrative has really 
become like an universal truth. There's no way anymore of debunking that idea of dismantling it. And that all comes in into that collectivist idea and uh, the oppressor and the oppressed and what constitutes privilege, what kind of privilege we can find um, within people. Um, and it's a very, very complicated thing to actually discuss. I mean, there are, there are hundreds, hundreds of, of, of books, articles, videos, debates online, right, uh, that anyone has access to. And then, of course, we have the online issue, which I'm not, and the, and the media channels issues, which I'm not really going to go too much into detail about that now, because I do want to reserve that specifically uh, for another episode to speak about deep fakes and fake news and misinformation and this whole mediatic revolution, which I, which I did uh, slightly uh, speak about in, in the first uh, episode and the introduction to the channel. Um, that can be an, an, another thing. But not every, you should be wary of what you see online. You should be very, very skeptical of what you see online because you're not really sure what has been tampered with or what is true or what is false. You can try and cross-check information and try and get a general idea of what's going on. Uh, but be very careful to just believe everything you see online and all the what well, misinformation that can be shared and for political purposes or for let's say personal agendas that people might have around the world. In any case, that was a bit to speak about um, oppression, inequality, specifically white privilege, um, systemic racism a bit, uh, and the conversation does not stop there. Actually, uh, really, it, the conversation does not stop there. There are a lot many things to speak about, uh, and really, we really do need to face, or let's say, find a solution to racism in the world because th there is still racism, right? That is something on. On an, on an individual perspective, there is still racism. Um, now, how do we combat that? I personally think it's, it's, it's a social combat that needs to take place. Uh, social combat, basically that. Let's see this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and explain this in a more... Uh, what's this term that's being used? A uh, uh, The majority... Um, Immunity of the majority, I think. Something that's been said now quite a lot for COVID. Uh, basically that if more people are infected, let's say, that generally no one will be infected. And I think that's a bit uh, with, with a racist idea that most people now in, in, in society are, not, are no longer racist. And uh, this by, bit by bit, it will change the way of thinking of other people. It's no longer the norm to be racist. Before it was, before the norm was, uh, specifically in, in Western countries, in, in others well, not even not even specifically in Western countries. All around the world, people have been ra have been racist throughout history. Uh, no, sorry, I could completely forget that. I, I, no, just in Western countries, all around the world, right? But most recently, we saw that in the United States in the twentieth century, where it was still uh, was very recent, where it was still kind of a well, very present in in the United States, um, and that's something that we really do need to acknowledge. That is not something. Throughout the, the whole of human history, the, the way we live now, it's so different. And we really need to get our thoughts um, clear. We need to get clear thoughts on where we want to go and how we want to get there. In any case, uh, yes, so we need to find a clear way on how to actually combat racism. And I do think that through education and through conversations let's say and general the overall mass 
will, let's say, purify, if you will, the racist, right? They will automatically be rejected in society if they keep having these kind of thoughts. And that's a simple way of putting things, but we can see about that. We can speak about that a bit later on. And, and it can be the same thing for sexism, for example, or for homophobia or xenophobia or all that. I really do think that the general population or, or, or society has a strength with the rest of society, if these just become the norm, if being op open and tolerant and understanding towards each other, that people will no longer have these, these, let's say, barbaric way of thinking, right? That, um, in any case, uh, yeah, I, I say it a lot in any case. That would be like a pretty funny uh, drinking game. Like the one uh, Ted, Barney, Lilia Marshall did uh, with Robin when she went on the news. <laughs> I don't know if you know How I Met Your Mother, but that was a pretty funny episode where Robin kept saying um, her or something like that, I think it was. And then for each time they said that, they had to take a shot. So if you want to have fun during the podcast, just take a shot each time I say, in any case, or anyway, or, or I say, um, yeah, that would be a funny game. I, I don't think you'll survive even five minutes. But uh, in any case, bam, there you go, another shot. Well, uh, I appreciate all of you, or those that managed to survive again in this episode. 53 minutes now, so a, a few minutes, oh, 10 minutes-ish longer than the first one, of course. I, I will try to keep them as short as possible and not rant around too much uh, with topics. But I hope you liked um, what I brought forward, more or less. I, I, I do want to bring up this issue and this question a lot more in the future. Um, especially when it comes to collectivist and oppression, equality and privilege, because like I said at the beginning, all of this is pretty much all these three words, right? And I think it was di so diversity, inclusivity and equity. So basically in the same kind of realm, uh, diversity, inclusivity and equity, it basically everything that that moves the social justice movements and, and, and the social rights movement nowadays. So let's try and articulate our thoughts well enough so we can answer those precise questions but first of all we need to agree on the questions if we don't agree on the questions we won't be able to find the answers and i can't stress that enough we need to agree on the questions precise questions and then from there look for a precise answer and actually do start to improve the way we live improve our economy improve our social standards and i really do hope that if we all bring in a little bit of what we can contribute to society, uh, we will all live prosperous and happy lives, let's say, and learn to live with our own miseries, uh, that is being a human. Uh, a small philosophical thought for you there. Um, okay, so thank you very much for listening. This was the Civic Podcast, and I am Ismail Pai Civica. Oh, no, wait. No, okay, I really need to find a way to, to, to say that a little bit better. Uh, and yes, I'm not going to redo this podcast because I already did it three times and, I'm, and I, really, I really am kind of hungry. Anyways, so I'm Ismail Pai Civico and this was the... This, the oh, God, okay. I'm, I'm not going to cut this out. I'm really not going to do... I'm not going to cut anything out. I'm going to leave everything as pure and as real as I can leave it. Uh, so I'm really sorry uh, for you having to bear with my, uh, yeah, well, my little uh, lapses there. Anyways, again, okay, one last time. So, this was Ismail Pai Civico, and this was 
Oh my God. Okay. I am Ismail Pai Civic on this was a Civic podcast. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Bye bye.